0: Hello to all my fellow 101 History Podcast listeners out there. Happy Friday to all of you, no matter where you live in the world. We made it to the end of a week, or rather I should say to the end of another week. Hard to believe back at the beginning of the week I was on the air last, and what do you know, at the end of this week I'm back on. One thing I do know is that for this uh, podcast segment to Tales from a Revolution, Bacon's Rebellion and the Transformation of Early America by James D. Rice. We have a lot of ground to cover, but then again, it's fair to say that we have lots of ground to cover in all podcast uh, segments, regardless of the topics that have been uh, discussed. And that's never a bad thing, but when I say this time around we have a lot of ground to cover, what I mean by that is that um, I have uh, more prepared than what I normally do, but I'm sure some of you are probably wondering, how do you do this? In other words, how many pages per podcast segment do you jot notes down on, or jot you know questions and other information? Well, I could tell you this much, I usually do between four to five pages. Five and a half would be pushing it, and some would say six could be pushing it. But believe it or not, folks, I have done some podcast segments where um, they've been few and small, but it has happened where I've been able to do five and six pages, a couple of six-pagers. And what do you know? We have a six-pager tonight in terms of questions and notes All worth the while, because what we have in store, or rather I should say what we will be learning in store tonight with this podcast segment is information so relevant that it will um, make us um, feel as though we are reliving uh, the past by being a part of the events that have um, unfolded, or that, rather I should say unfolded in 1676. But the events that are going to unfold now, it truly is a a true crisis. So let's fasten our seat belts and be prepared. We've got 60 minutes to get this right. So uh, even though my timer says two and a half minutes, I will do everything in my power to make sure that I don't eclipse the 60 minutes. So here we go. What's important about June 5th, 1676? I'm sure many of you are thinking, what in the world could have taken place on june fifth of sixteen June fifth of sixteen seventy six that is so important. Well, it just so happens that this is the date which Governor William Berkeley went about addressing the new general assembly, which comprised of thirty nine burgesses, or rather when I say burgesses, folks, it's another term for delegates, representatives. And remember from our previous podcast we learned that um elections had not been held for about 14 years. So we have to wonder with the new this new general assembly that's in play along with new delegates what are their um stances towards relations with Indians? What are their um attitudes towards the uh, current situation involving Nathaniel Bacon and uh, Governor Berkeley, there are a lot of unknowns. You know, it's one thing to have elections, but we wonder what are the end results going to be when this is all said and done with. Was Nathaniel Bacon present at Jamestown on June 5th of 1676? Uh, No, he wasn't. He was stationed at his uh, plantation being Curl's C U R L E S Curl's plantation, where he went about mustering up forty men whom would join him in going to Jamestown. And at the same time um, at Jamestown, Governor Berkeley sees empty seats. He sees some Of course, one of those empty seats being um, Nathaniel Bacon. But it just so happens that he encountered Jamestown's Burgess and Richard Lawrence. Why is Richard Lawrence an important figure? I don't know if I've mentioned his name already, but if I haven't, now is the time to um, talk about Richard Lawrence Uh, Not just here at this moment, but his name will be mentioned quite frequently, not only after this podcast segment, but in other uh, segments. Richard Lawrence um, is a member of the uh, House of Burgesses, but he also shares many of uh, Nathaniel Bacon's uh, ideals. And I think we did learn from the uh, previous uh, podcast that um, both uh, Richard Lawrence and uh, Nathaniel Bacon... We're, actually, I take it back. Uh, that was uh, James Cruz, pardon me. Uh, James Cruz uh, was the other Burgess whom uh, represented Henrico County along with uh, Nathaniel Bacon. So, But nonetheless, Richard Lawrence is uh, a member of the House of Burgesses, and he is a very, very close friend of Bacon's. So if he is a close friend of Bacon's, is it fair to say that he could be um, a supporter behind what Bacon stands for? yes. June 5th, 1676, saw Nathaniel Bacon and 50 bodyguards depart Curls. And by departing Curls, folks, are they going to be marching to Jamestown, or will they go by boat? I think marching to Jamestown by foot, that's going to be a long uh, journey. Now, by boat, is it fair to say by going by boat, you could get there a little bit faster you could but it also depends on the um the speed at which the winds are going if you don't have favorable winds then obviously your boat's not going to be able to um to go in the direction that you want it to so we have to remember that the boats in 17th century are not we're not anywhere close to having a motor engine boats so it's not like you know, we, we unfortunately were not able to take our keys in 1676 and start up our boats. We got a long ways to go before that level of technology ever surfaces. So, anyways, yes, Nathaniel Bacon and his uh, bodyguards depart Curls by boat. They arrived to Jamestown on June the 6th, where they anchored near shore, not far from the Capitol building. However, there were gunners at Fort James whom positioned their cannons towards Bacon's ship. A messenger went ashore, that is, he rode um, via ashore to ask Governor Berkeley if Nathaniel Bacon could take his seat as a Burgess. Berkeley denied the request and ordered, ordered the gunners to sink the ship. But before they could attempt to sink the ship, the rebels were a step ahead. They dropped their anchor elsewhere. In other words, they, they were smart enough to, um, to get the boat in position to where they could um, anchor in a safer area where they could avoid the ship being hit. The evening of June 6th saw Bacon navigate the James River to the capital where he evaded capture. He spent the evening at Richard Lawrence's place to plan his next move. So, yes, Nathaniel Bacon and Richard Lawrence are friends, but is it fair to say that Richard Lawrence is harboring a fugitive? Yes. Shouldn't that be considered punishable? Uh, To a degree, it should. So this is a classic example right here of of some uh, aiding and abetting. Now um June the 7th on the early morning of June 7th I should say Nathaniel Bacon was seen returning to where the boats got stored outside of Jamestown so in other words it's like a little makeshift uh facility where boats could be stored so that say the enemy or just people in general won't um won't steal them in other words you know it's one thing to leave some leave uh, something outside but I think, you know, boats, for example, are, are prized items. Not everyone has access to a boat. And so by keeping your boat somewhere um, so that it's not in the hands of uh, of others, to me that's important because it's not, you know, it's one thing to have your boat stolen, but it's not like you can go to a shop and say, oh, I need a new boat. Uh, it just doesn't happen that way. So anyways, on the morning of June 7th, Bacon is seen returning to where the boats got stored outside of Jamestown, and an encounter ensued upriver, where, uh, where the vessel Adam and Eve. How about that name, Adam and Eve? Of course, when I think of Adam and Eve, I think of the, um, of the, uh, the garden of um, where the uh, forbidden fruit was. So believe it or not, there is a vessel called Adam and Eve. It's commanded by Berkeley supporter Thomas Gardner, whom fired upon enemy ship, forcing Bacon to anchor and eventually surrender. Eventually surrender, folks. Is this good news? I would say it is. To the point where Bacon is forced to spend the night in a jail cell attached to Governor Berkeley's townhouse. Wow, so many of us are probably wondering, could this be the last of Nathaniel Bacon? Well, there are sighs of relief. They're felt by many whom thought the worst was behind them. I wish I could tell you all right now that maybe we have seen the the last of uh, Nathaniel Bacon, but I will have to admit to you right now that unfortunately we have not. So... Nathaniel Bacon being behind bars right now is just only temporary relief. Given Nathaniel Bacon was now jailed, what did many suspect going forward? There are a lot of unknowns, but yet there are a lot of uh, speculations. There are those whom believe that justice will be served. So there were those whom believed Bacon could be hung for treason. You know, treason's a serious offense. And in colonial days, if you were uh, tried for treason and found guilty, it was punishable by death. On the other hand, though, uh, high-end leaders like Governor Berkeley could not rest peacefully. I mean, yes, he was glad to know that Nathaniel Bacon was behind bars, but it didn't assure him that that, that that there was one hundred percent peace. There's an easy explanation for that. For one, there were a constant there was a constant spread of rumors going around, where some speculated that hundreds and thousands of men were making their way to Jamestown with one mission only, rescuing the rebel, A.K.A. Nathaniel Bacon. So for Governor Berkeley, he knows that there are many men out there whom have expressed their allegiance to Nathaniel Bacon and his um, principles, that Berkeley knows that even if Nathaniel Bacon were hung tomorrow, that there will be people in line ready to take over for him, people in, in line who are ready to carry on his mission. So, yes, it's one thing to have the leader behind bars, but it's another thing to know that there are countless others from ordinary rank and file whom are willing to die for a cause to me that's just totally irrelevant. But yet there are those whom are willing to die for it. Governor Berkeley confronted Bacon in the council chamber room. So in other words, Bacon has been released from his jail cell and he is now meeting with Governor Berkeley in the council chamber room. Governor Berkeley is um, seeing to it that Nathaniel Bacon recites uh, multiple phrases, or or even sayings for that matter, dealing with forgiveness, and not just dealing with forgiveness, but forgiveness of sins. And the sin, and we can say that the sins are most notably Nathaniel Bacon. Um, and others uh, from within his inner circle conspiring to overthrow the government. Nathaniel Bacon and his followers making accusations against the governor and the government alone. So, Nathaniel Bacon's reciting of these phrases ultimately persuades Governor Berkeley to go about restoring him to his council seat on the governor council. Governor Berkeley also went as far as issuing a pardon to Nathaniel Bacon. Do you all think Governor Berkeley has made some smart choices? To me, I find this yes and no. How could I possibly say on the yes side of things that this was a good choice? Was Governor Berkeley truly convinced that Nathaniel Bacon had shown remorse? In his eyes, perhaps yes. Governor Berkeley also realizes that if he doesn't, um, if he doesn't give Nathaniel Bacon an opportunity to express his forgiveness through reciting of, fr- of phrases, if he doesn't give him some form of opportunity, then the Bacon followers will will stop at no end to um, resort to extremism, all in the name of uh, their leader being denied his basic fundamental rights. On the other hand, I say no to this because Governor Berkeley is falling for bait. In other words, Bacon's luring him into a trap. Bacon is saying, oh, I'm just so terribly sorry for all my wrongdoings, but yet... If, if Nathaniel Bacon was that sorry, he would have probably said to Governor Berkeley, look, go get some of your guardsmen, have them, go pro, have them find my men, and tell them that this is over. That it's over. That they need to go about, um, they need to end this. In other words, they need to uh, understand that I no longer want to uh, pursue this fight. But that didn't happen. The drama involving Nathaniel Bacon was high. Well, there's no question about it. But the bigger issue at stake centered upon the status of Indian nations, from as far north as New York to south of Virginia and Carolina. Well, I mean, think about it, folks up north in New York. You have the Iroquois Nation. The Iroquois Nation. Uh, remember, they conquered the Susquehannocks to where they took over the Susquehannocks. Um, territory in southern um, new york state along the new york pennsylvania line as well as into um, pencil into areas of pennsylvania that we know of today as the poconos region uh, scranton or wilkes Barre. so and remember the uh, susquehannocks were forced to relocate as far south as into um, maryland and then eventually they made their way into the uh, virginia north carolina line so yes um, We have this issue with, you know, yes, whatever's going on in Virginia, we would think, oh, only pertains to those in Virginia. But what we don't realize is that what's going on up north and just south of us along the Virginia North, what we now know as North Carolina, it is a matter of concern. Might as well think of it as national security. Now, most of you probably don't know who this Indian is. Um, It turns out that she is a a female um, chief and i'm and i'm sure many of you are thinking you know whenever we think of indian chiefs we always think of the men but we also have to keep in mind that uh in many of indian nations if not all in all indian nations women were incredibly um powerful in terms of their roles in um in indian uh hierarchy and uh within the greater indian society uh this lady here her name is Kakakowski or Kaka That's my uh, best uh, pronunciation, but that's as good as it's probably going to come. She was a uh, Wera Wansqua, a hereditary chief of the Pamunkey tribe. She knew that the General Assembly had the power to make or break Virginia's Indian alliances, for better or for worse. She knows that if Nathaniel Bacon... Seized power, the Pamunkeys would be alienated and perhaps removed altogether. Under William Berkeley, or I should say Governor Berkeley, the Pamunkeys would be able to return to their ancestral lands and receive pr- protected status as allies to the Virginia Colony. So this is a paradox here for the uh, Pamunkeys, or really a double-edged sword. They know that they're in a, they're not in a. They know they're not in a um, win-win situation, but they know that it's a 50-50 situation. They know that their status is fragile, and it's all going to depend on who prevails as the leader. Koukoukouweski was opposed. She opposed um, various things. Was she one who, whom opposed sending her own people into the wilderness and fighting against enemy Indians? Yes, she was. This was largely due in part because of failed promises by English leaders, statesmen, whom did not provide proper compensation to those Indian peoples whose brethren had died while fighting a justified cause, being war. Now, with these, uh, with the new elections that had come about, uh, the newly elected Burgesses, Unfortunately, we're not friends to the Indians, and nor did they endorse or support Governor Berkeley's request to retire. Think about it, folks, Governor Berkeley wanted to step down. I mean, he, he gave that um ultimatum to Nathaniel Bacon that he would, you know, be more than happy to step down. But the the new Burgess members don't want to see that happen. Could it be that perhaps the new Burgess members could be part of something, part of a conspiracy as well? Do they want to see William Berkeley suffer even more? I hate to say all this, but there are those whom have no end in sight who would want to wish that kind of harm upon um, those from the opposing party. So, uh, moving on here to our next question. Did Governor Berkeley go through on his promise to deliver a commission directly to Nathaniel Bacon? You know that's the one thing Nathaniel Bacon's been demanding is a commission. And he is so determined that he's going to get this commission. It's going to be one that's going to give him broad powers and make him in charge and not the government? Well, Governor Berkeley um, held his ground and did not give Nathaniel Bacon a commission. So this led Bacon to believe that he had been tricked from the get-go including stipulations preventing him from attacking Pamunkeys and other Indian allies. So in other words, okay, even if he got the commission, there still would have been a, uh stipulations that would have said, okay, this is what you're allowed to do and what we will give you. But we're also not going to but at the same time this is what you're going to be prohibited from doing. And if you feel as though you need to to do something that is already under the prohibited uh, restrictions, but if you feel that there is a need to do something, then you're going to have to go before us, the council and the government, because if you don't, then you will lose numerous privileges. Now, Nathaniel Bacon was at the home of Richard Lawrence. Where he um, reorchestrated his ultimate or prized object, objective, being um, resurrecting the uh, rebellion, or because that's what his um, intent is, is going to be, folks. He wants a rebellion, despite Bacon's escape, and he and he he's no longer in jail now, folks. Burgess members were busy with multiple bills. The evening of June 22nd, 1676, brought about the news of Bacon and 400 followers making their way to Jamestown. 400, folks. I mean, that's a small... In 1676, for um, for a movement that's creating all kinds of uncertainty, to have 400 followers, that's a big number. I can't imagine just how many people... Back on January the 6th of last year, we at the Capitol, but it was in the thousands. I'm not trying to sound political, folks, but uh, we should just keep in mind that there's a big difference between 400 followers versus well over 1,000 or into the high thousands. But in 1676, I think it's fair to say that what's going to be unfolding, does, to me, bears some resemblance to what took place on June the 6th of last year. So, on June 22nd of 1676, um, yes, the news has come about that Nathaniel Bacon and 400 followers are making their way to Jamestown. This is the closest thing to breaking news of the 17th century in terms of a breaking news alert app. The majority of Bacon's horsemen and foot soldiers arrived on the afternoon of June 23rd, where they gather not far from the State House being where the capitol buildings were, many horsemen and soldiers disrupted men whom were en route to defend the governor, including burgesses, with the beating of drums. Luckily, there was a sound, uh, what we call the beating of drums, where it alerted burgesses, whom were inside the capitol buildings, to go to the third floor chamber Whereas Governor Berkeley and his council sought shelter and protection from the second floor. So fortunately there is good news in that Governor Berkeley and his council, including uh those Burgesses that are present, have escaped in enough time to where they um have locked the doors, they have uh secured their own what we would call lockdown to where um, they can be safe from what we would think of in today's time as like the equivalent of an active shooter, or um, what do you call it, unruly activities that have the potential to um, disrupt the uh, disrupt the government and not just so much disrupt the government, but government's overall ability to function. Bacon made his way near the state house premise where he openly demanded his commission as commander of Virginia's forces against. Indians. The Burgesses replied by advising Bacon that they had been elected to speak on behalf of the colony's affairs and not Bacon's army. Bacon remained defiant to where he defied all laws, including whom was in charge. Governor Berkeley got so fed up to where he called Bacon a rebel and a traitor. Bacon remained defiant behind commission requests to where tensions became so bad that in the end, the governor's council forced Berkeley into doing the exact opposite. They forced Berkeley into signing a commission for Bacon, which eased ten, which eased the situation to a degree. Do you all think it was probably right for Governor Berkeley to to be forced to give in to sign a commission? Well, you know, I would say he had done a very good job of holding his ground up until this point. But I think the um, governor's council realized, too, that if Governor Berkeley didn't sign a commission, that there would be a greater fear of perhaps the governor being assassinated or... Members of the House of Burgesses being shot at. Um, members of the House of Burgesses perhaps being um, abducted and held for ransom. All this sounds crazy, folks, but we do have to remember that what is going on here, this is this is political extremism. And we're not talking modern-day political extremism, but for 17th century, this is the closest thing we could get to... Um, being the equivalent of modern day extremism when um, and, you know, unfortunately we don't have any, um, what do you call it? uh, Agents on site who specialize in hostage standoffs or uh, who don't, who aren't specialized in being able to deal with a crisis of this magnitude. So unfortunately, you know, governor Berkeley uh, doesn't have access to a telephone because for one, telephones aren't around at that time. And two, he, we don't have anything that represents the equivalent of a modern-day FBI or a um, or a SWAT or a police SWAT unit team. So this is real-life drama for the 17th century. What other issues arose after Governor Berkeley signed Bacon's commission? For starters, the governor and Bacon quarreled over how the commission document was to be worded. So when I mean by how the commission document was to be worded for Nathaniel Bacon, for one, it's obviously about him and not anybody else, but two, he wants his commission uh, to include every known stipulation there is possible that that will benefit him. But as for everyone else, well, you know, who cares about everyone else in his eyes? That is those whom are against him. To... And if that's not bad enough, how about Bacon himself disrupting the Burgesses' legislation, going as far as making Burgesses add a clause, making him commander-in-chief to declaring war against all enemy Indians. As I said before, I'd say it again, Nathaniel Bacon is a man whom, whose world revolves around I, me, myself, and... Gratification that benefits me and my followers. Um, I represent, you know, all things anti-authority. But then again, when I'm in charge, I represent authority. But, but it's either my way or the or the highway. So, in other words, Nathaniel Bacon is almost, you know, he's acting as though he's a dictator, and yet he doesn't have any real power. But yet. If he had had it his way, he would be a dictator. Governor Berkeley wrote two letters, one for King Charles II, but a second letter given to his wife for her return to England, where this where this second letter told a different story from the first one. The first one pertained to all the uh, pieces of legislation um, that the House of Burgesses. Debated and the governor approved of, as well as other um, meetings that the governor and his council of state would have um, conducted. But the second letter is the exact opposite. The second letter is tell- it will explain to King Charles what a hothead Nathaniel Bacon has become, that Nathaniel Bacon and, the- and others below him have conspired to overthrow the government. So the second letter included concerns for safety amongst the governor and his supporters along with advising a new governor to come upon when, when the new governor comes that the new governor needs to come upon a ship providing extra military force. In other words, you know, when Governor Berkeley steps down, you know, it's going to take, you know, a couple of weeks, it might take a month before the new governor arrives. But when the new governor does arrive, that governor better be protected because if not, that governor could be a sitting duck. Nathaniel Bacon wrote a letter to to Crown officials as well, explaining the general state of relations with Indians. He also wrote to his father explaining his side of the story in garnering support towards Indian removal, disruption of existing relations. All of this without the governor's consent. Bacon's letters were meant to be seen as signs of non-hostility, hence issues, problems, not signs of social revolution or rebellion. This is an example here, folks, of two sides to the story. And yes, I know all of us are, are at times probably guilty of not wanting to see two sides to the story, but here we are, you know, one leader's writing letters, the other leader's doing the same. The bigger question is, is which letters will get there first before the other, before the others, and whose side will ultimately be taken in the end when it's all said and done with? What did Nathaniel Bacon call for on July fifteenth, sixteen 1676? What do you think he called for? He called for a gathering to happen at the falls of James River where his 1,000-man army would assemble and be given necessary provisions short and long term given what was about to lie ahead. So folks, do you think that what is now taking place on July 15th, 1676 is actually going to go through. I mean, we've already had tension, but is it possible that what's in store now could be something that's like the equivalent of a grand finale to an event that's been in the makings for a while? I would say so. Gloucester County, located on the north side of the York River, a letter was sent to uh, Governor Berkeley expressing outrage at how Bacon's men treated them and demanded stripping of commissions. Berkeley went to Gloucester County but learned that very few men were willing to march against fellow brethren, meaning those whom they knew who were on the side of Bacon's. However, many agreed to fight only if Nathaniel Bacon tried overthrowing the government. It's one thing to say, it's one thing for someone to say that they're going to, to do something heinous, like trying to overthrow a government. It's another thing to go through and actually engage in acts of uh, violence, or what we what we would call um, citing an insurrection, engaging in actual rebellious activities that would uh, put the entire government on high alert. Jul- July 29th of 1676, the main body of Bacon's army came upon Middle Plantation. Middle Plantation, I know I mentioned that from a previous podcast a book topic, but Middle Plantation um, will eventually become what we now know as uh, Colonial Williamsburg. Middle Plantation basically was a group of settlements halfway from the main road-crossing peninsula between the York and James Rivers. Bacon's volunteers set up camp seven miles from Jamestown. Governor Berkeley abandoned his home at Green Spring and went east across the Chesapeake Bay into Virginia's eastern shore, where he set up headquarters at Arlington Plantation. Of course, when I think of Arlington, I think of Arlington, Virginia, as well as Arlington National Cemetery. And it just so happens that a fellow by the name of John Custis, his estate was none other than Arlington Plantation. He allowed for uh, Governor William Berkeley to uh, set up his headquarters at the estate. And his estate was near the entrance to the Chesapeake Bay. And whenever I think of the Custises, I think of uh, Martha Dandridge Custis. Why is she important? Well, for one, um, her she originally was Martha Dandridge, and uh, she hailed from New Kent County. Her father was John Dandridge, who served in the House of Burgesses. Martha Dandridge married um, Daniel Park Custis, whom was a very, very well-to-do uh, landowner, a member of the gentry, Virginia Gentry. Sadly, he died... But Martha Dandridge Custis inherited a vast amount of uh, land, not just on one property area alone, but um, vast uh, properties from other uh, regions along what we now know as the Northern Neck and perhaps the Eastern Shore, or we think of uh, simply being Tidewater. Martha Dandridge Custis would become the wealthiest woman in Virginia and she um courted a fellow virginian by the name of george washington and when george washington married martha dandridge custis his property holdings skyrocketed so whenever i think of the custises uh, one person that comes to my mind is martha dandridge custis knowing at one washington but knowing at one time she was martha dandridge custis and knowing that she was the uh, wealthiest um woman in Virginia based upon her uh, land holdings. Now, uh, what did Nathaniel Bacon and his army issue on July 30th of 1676? They issued a document called Declaration of the People. Declaration of the People, and of course now we have to wonder, who really are the people? Are the people the greater community, or are the people only... A select group of people whom have deliberately chosen to be disenfranchised. To me, the people here are are those whom are not satisfied with anything and they are not necessarily folks the dregs of society. We have to be reminded that those whom are not uh, happy are often ones whom could be you know everyday middle class people as well as those whom represent the upper middle class and upper class tiers of society. And I have I had to remind myself that after having read this book, that uh, that those whom agreed and supported the Declaration of the People document were those from the upper class of society who were um, disgrunt, who felt disgruntled and betrayed by Governor William Berkeley. So the Declaration of the People levied many criticisms against Governor Berkeley's administration. Some accusations, or I should say grievances, included the following. The governor providing measures benefiting those in high public offices. In other words, the uh, measures benefiting those in high public offices were those whom the governor favored. The governor um, was friends with. The governor whom would uh, do anything for those people, but not for anybody else outside the inner circle. Another one was to manipulating the beaver trade, where it favored the Indians within the alliance partnership network. For uh, Nathaniel Bacon and his followers, he, they believe that Governor Berkeley has deliberately sold them out. Bacon and his followers requested Governor Berkeley and those loyal to him to turn themselves in within four days after this declaration, that is, uh, the Declaration of the People Failure to surrender after four days meant enemies of Bacons would see their properties confiscated. That's frightening right there, folks. It's one thing to be against those whom you feel have caused you grievances, but now to issue ultimatums like this, where if you don't surrender after four days, it will come and destroy your property without your consent. Yeah, that is... um. That is a little frightening. Many Berkeley followers did the exact opposite, where they actually heeded Bacon's orders. Seventy men, beginning with Council Member Thomas Swan, signed the declaration document. July 31, 1676, another declaration was signed proclaiming Bacon's supreme authority, giving him the means to direct a navy and tracking down Governor Berkeley. Well, you know, it's one thing to say, oh, I would have remained defiant and not signed the document. Well, guess what now? If you don't sign the document, you lose your property. You could be jailed. You might as well even be, sadly, you could be executed. Your family as well. So for these Berkeley followers or loyalists, they don't really have no other choice now. I mean, they they know that what's now been thrown at them is a matter of life and death. August 8th of 1676, Nathaniel Bacon takes possession of Governor Berkeley's estate, Green Spring. Bacon's officers took the homes of 19 Loyalists and converted them into rebel posts. Wow. Um, I can't imagine what that must have been like to have witnessed, but it's, um, it's hard to believe that this is going on, folks. But it did happen. September 7th of 1676, the first of Berkeley's ships enters the eastern end of Jamestown Island. Governor Berkeley came ashore to issue a proclamation offering pardons to everyone except Bacon and two other men. Many abandoned Jamestown with the fears of being captured by Berkeley loyalists. September 13th of 1676, Bacon launches an assault against the Loyalists on horseback. And he went as far as seeing to it that all women Loyalists got held hostage. Why would he have gone as far as holding all these women, given they were Loyalists, hostage? Was he trying to meet a ransom request? No. For Nathaniel Bacon, in order for his mission to truly prevail, there has to be defenses or fortifications constructed. If defenses or fortifications aren't constructed, what could uh, the wives or the loyalist women do? Will they have the means of being able to alert their loved ones, being their husbands, of what is taking place. They also have the means of being able to defend themselves if in the event that their husbands aren't home. I would believe it's fair to say that women loyalists were capable of being able to um, hold a rifle or a musket, not just hold it, but to fire for means of self defense. So by holding these women loyalists hostage, Nathaniel Bacon was keeping them from. He was keeping them from um, doing anything that would offer greater protection for all of those loyal to Governor Berkeley. Was Virginia in a state of civil war going into September of sixteen seventy six? I believe the answer ought to be yes. Given how much governmental dysfunction had already taken place, Governor Berkeley was constantly coming and going from Jamestown, and and a lot of that had to do with his personal safety. I mean, I I can't blame him for not going over to the eastern shore. I mean, he needs to go somewhere where he knows he can be safe, but yet he still has to be on the lookout, because if he stays inland, he runs the risk of being assassinated. He runs the risk of... um, of being um, taken prisoner, there are a lot of things. Um, you know, I don't think Governor Berkeley's been a coward at all. Although I probably don't agree with him allowing Bacon to have a seat on the governor's council or giving him a commission, but yet at the same time, he had no other choice but to do that because he's trying to do everything he can. He was he was doing everything he could to modify. A situation from getting so bad, and not just getting so bad, but getting to the point where it's now become so extreme to where no resolutions are able to go to take place, to where things can go back to where they were prior to um, what has now been going on within the last three years. So yes, Governor Berkeley has been constantly coming and going from Jamestown to Nathaniel Bacon recruiting men. To fight not only against uh, the Indians, but taking on Berkeley loyalists. Each leader announced his loyalty to king and country. I mean, there would be no questions about Governor William Berkeley um, announcing his loyalty to king and country. The problem is that each side is denouncing their opponent as a traitor. I don't blame Governor Berkeley for um, denouncing um, Nathaniel Bacon and calling him a traitor. But if each side is going to continue to to denounce one another, then how can there be any form of resolution? There just simply can't. September 17th to the 18th of 1676, Berkeley's officers came to his place of stay where he was advised to leave Jamestown immediately. Berkeley was hesitant, but he agreed that all loyalists must sign a statement stating the group as a whole had agreed, or I should say consented to leaving Jamestown. In other words, they just didn't give up the um, they didn't give up the site without a fight. In other words, they knew that that this was now or never. September 19th, sixteen seventy six Jamestown now becomes Nathaniel Bacon's prized possession. He has it, folks. What do you think he's going to do with it? What happened come the late hours of September 18th and into the morning of September 19th, 1676? Governor Berkeley and his band of loyalist followers watched from the ship's deck. They watched the inevitable take place. Nathaniel Bacon ordered his band of rebel troops to set Jamestown ablaze to set it on fire, folks. Jamestown, Virginia's capital, was now officially in the hands of extremists whom were responsible for all that happened because their leader, Nathaniel Bacon, a man whom advocated conflict over resolution, believed that it was okay to um, live in a world where extremism was the new norm. All because all because he never got requests that were intended to be for him and for his purpose only the requests like a commission were given as a means of not just appeasement but as a means of soothing the tension nathaniel bacon abused it nathaniel bacon abused everything that was done in the form in terms of modification nothing satisfied him but what did satisfy him was taking matters into his own hands where he finally got his hands on Jamestown to where he and his band of rebel troops set Jamestown ablaze. You know, thank heavens that uh, that the Capitol didn't get set on fire back from uh, January 6th of last year but for those of you who were with me when we talked about Through the Perilous Fight from the Burning of Washington, uh, the Star-Spangled Banner and the Six Weeks that Saved America, um, what happened in 1814 in Washington, D.C. might as well have been the equivalent of a 9-11. To me, what's now happening in Jamestown in September of 1676, it is, um, it is uh, their version of 9-11 of the 17th century. In other words... Government is government is ceasing to exist. Government, we have to wonder now, will government ever be able to function again? Will government be able to be restored? You know, what's going to happen now that Nathaniel Bacon is in control is if government does return, it's going to be in the hands of extremists. Now, prior to Jamestown's burning come mid-September 1676, Had Crown officials received enough intelligence um, findings? Actually, I take it back. Um, This is where we're going to stop here. And the reason I say that this is where we're going to stop is because, um, for one, we're getting short on time. However, we did meet our objective. That is the most important of news, is that we did meet our objective... In terms of getting what needed to be uh, discussed, uh, to me that's far more important than um, than not than not having uh, met the objective. But we uh, certainly did cover a lot of uh, important uh, ground. Important ground that um, that had to be um, met. But I do hope that you all learned uh, a great deal of uh, information. From this uh, podcast uh, segment, because now we know firsthand what has um, truly um, unfolded. Uh, because it is uh, something that um, that must not be uh, that must not be uh, taken lightly under uh, no uh, circumstances uh, whatsoever. So uh, when I'm on the air again next, we're going to um, learn going forward. What life is going to be like at Jamestown in the aftermath of this, uh, in the aftermath of the capital being set ablaze? Many of us are probably wondering now: how much longer will it take before any kind of normalcy is in fact restored? That's the big question I'm wanting to find out myself: is um, will there be uh, normalcy restored? Because without normalcy, how does government itself uh, function? There are a lot of uh, unknowns out there, to uh, to say the least. But what I do know is that um, hopefully when this is all said and done with, uh, there will be um, some form of light at the end of the tunnel. Because if there's not going to be any light at the end of the tunnel, then um, then how will there be resolution when this is all said and done with? So... Uh, Thank you for your time, uh, as always, and I look forward to being back on the air again next. And um, thank you again for listening. Uh, You guys are uh, great uh, listeners. Continue to get the word out to those who are interested in uh, coming to Anchor. And and if you know of anybody who wants the podcast, uh, tell them to come to Anchor. It's free. The opportunities are limitless. And once he or she gets going, uh, the results go beyond the sky's ceiling. Thank you for your time, and uh, have a great upcoming weekend. And no matter where you all live in the world, uh, continue to stay safe. Thank you.